Hey people, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible and that if we all work together there is time to create the future that we would be proud to leave to the generations that come after us. I'm Amanda Scott, your host in this journey into possibility, and this week is our 199th episode. Hey, how cool is that? It has been quite a ride. And to celebrate the end of our second century, Faith, my partner, has come to join me as host. And we have two guests, textile designer Alan Brown and Dylan Hewitt, who's a filmmaker with over 20 years of making documentaries and features for the BBC and Netflix and Sky and Discovery and basically if you've heard of them, Dylan has worked with them. Alan was exploring how we could feed and clothe ourselves as we head towards a world of localism and increasing self-reliance. And a journey that began with a simple question, largely, how are we going to clothe ourselves, led to spending seven years of his life making a dress out of nettles. He harvested them in his local wood, he made the fibre, he spun over 14,000 feet of it, He wove it by hand, and then he made it into a truly beautiful dress for his daughter. It was an astonishing process of experimentation and discovery and ensoulment, a journey into possibility that would be hard to match in our current frenetic world. And we know about this, the patience of it, the wonder, the loss and the grief, and I'm not going to spoil where they come from, but they are central to the film, the resilience, the alchemy, the sheer magic of it. Because Dylan made a film called The Nettle Dress, which also took seven years to make, and is also a process of emergence, and ensoulment, and magic, and loss, and grief, and discovery. And it's one of the most profoundly moving, ensouling films I have seen in a long, long time. For me, it's deep time brought into being. It really brings you, or brought me, into connection with myself, with the land, a reconnection with the plants that are everywhere around us. It's a meditation on attention and intention as it follows Al's absolutely profound intention and attention. It's so, so different from what we normally see. It's so centering and grounding. And when we were offered the chance to talk to Alan Dillon, it made sense for Faith to come and join me. She is the maker in our partnership. She's been a textile maker and designer. And she thinks very differently than I do in many ways. That's why the partnership works. We see the world from different angles. So, it being our 199th episode, we made it a joint endeavour. And I think it's all the stronger for it. So this is our own emergent exploration of intention and attention and making and what it is to be and to make and to think and to feel in this moment of profound change. I genuinely think that watching this film will help to open doors for you. If you're in the UK, you can see it somewhere near you. And if you can't, you can get in contact with the distributors and help that to happen. We have put a link in the show notes 
so that you can find out where it's showing. If you're in countries other than the UK and you have any way to bring it to your nation, I wholeheartedly recommend that you do. So here we go. People of the podcast, please welcome Alan Brown and Dylan Hewitt as our guests and Faith Tillery as our co-host, exploring the making and filming of The Nettle Dress. Alan and Dylan, welcome to the Accidental Gods podcast. It is such a delight and an honour to have you both here. Thank you. So we're talking about The Nettle Dress film and we have everybody listening put in the show notes absolutely where you can go and see this because you will want to by the time we're finished. Alan made the dress, Dylan made the film and we want to explore in today's podcast the making and everything that arose from it and went into it. So Alan, welcome first and I'd like to begin with how how you got there because I understand from the film you have Bonnie and Bonnie is a yellow Labrador, I think, or a yellow Labrador cross possibly. And walking Bonnie took you to nettles. But I've had dogs for 35 years and I haven't made a nettle dress yet. And (laughs) in spite of there being many, many, many nettles in our walks. So how was it? How was it that you came up with the idea? Can we start with that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Thank you for having me on, Amanda. Yeah, so I was... um I suppose, I mean, Dylan and I knew each other years before we started making this film and we had a shared background in uh, envi- in the 90s environmental protests, the roads protests and uh, that, that sort of thing. And I think coming off the back of that, um, initially it was empowering, feeling that there was something we could practically do to make a change. Um, but I felt that it soon became disempowering as the scale of what was needing to be done was just overwhelming. And I think um, at the time, quite a few of uh, the people I knew, we decided that um, there were allotments in Brighton that were sitting empty and idle, and it just seemed the most practical thing we could do was to actually roll up our sleeves, get our hands into the earth and actually just start to uh, grow some of our own food and just reclaim some sort of sense of ownership of, of our own direction. So yeah, I've been I'd been growing food for on an allotment for for many years. And um, I think that just set me down a train of thinking about how we feed ourselves in the future, um, the whole history of enclosures and access to land. And it just felt there was a resource right here and now that we could access and immediately get going on. And that just sort of immediacy of, of, of the action really, really spoke to me. And I think as I was thinking about food growing, the idea started to come in of like, right, I've got the food at least symbolically covered, but what about clothing? How, how, you know, if it all fell apart, what would I actually do in order to clothe myself? And really just covering those primary bases of food and clothing, the sort of basics of staying alive, as it were. 
Um, so I was thinking about that, and years before in a permaculture course, I'd been shown how to twist um, nettle cord, you know, nettle cordage. So it really just sprung from that. Um, I was looking at foraging and what sort of foods were available whilst I was out walking. Um, which just sort of grew naturally out of the growing food side of things. And so I was just trying to remember how how to make nettle cordage, and I was fiddling around with nettles, and I remembered how to do it. Hmm. Um, and because there was always nettles around, it was like a, a resource I didn't have to carry out with me. I could just pick nettles whilst I was walking and twist cordage whilst I was on the move. And as I was twisting finer and finer cordage, I started to notice that there were these um, incredible fine fibers in the bast, which I hadn't really noticed before. And that really just um, triggered a thought of, oh my goodness, there's these incredible fibers right here that I could just forage incredibly easily. Um, I wonder if clothing or thread has been made from this nettle fiber in the past and that really just opened the pandora's box you know i say it was um idle curiosity that got wildly out of hand really right i want to come to dylan in a moment but just a couple of questions to clarify before we go on what's the difference between cordage and thread not a lot really i mean cordage is just probably a bit thicker it's more like string okay. but you can you can twist cordage incredibly finely and that's really what I started doing was just trying to get it finer and finer and then I realized that there was um, a whole n deeper world of these finer fibers hidden in the rough bast which is how it usually presents itself so yeah it was just a refinement thank you and and final question for this section were you already a textile maker? Is this is is the world of textiles where you come from? Because otherwise, you you got a lot of skills in seven years that the rest of us know absolutely nothing about. But was it your thing? No, it wasn't at all. I mean, I had been around um, textiles. My mum was a sewer. Um, various family members are knitters, right. and Alex was an amazing sewer. She, um, you know, she trained, did city and guilds and stuff. So I was around it. But I always thought it was just too big a subject to come in as a lay person late, late on down the line. So I sort of let other people get on with it. So, no, I had to pick up all the skills necessary to realize the cloth as I went along. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think one of the things I, I soon learned is that to make incredibly fine, beautiful cloth, you obviously need high levels of skill. But to make functional cloth that you can actually clothe yourself with, you don't really need to be um, a master of any of the, of the particular um, skills you need. Uh, just a rudimentary basics will, will get you a long way. Mm. Okay, guys, when you watch this film, Alan's idea of rudimentary basics and mine don't quite match because your level of patience never mind anything else, is is astonishing. But we will come back to that. I would like to have a chat with Dylan now because the nettle dress itself, the making of it, is an astonishing seven-year process. And the film is one of the most beautiful that I have ever seen. It's, it's moving, it's meditative, it's got that sense of we could do this. It feels to me with one of my obsessions of how do we create the stories that will take us forward to a different way of being, that this film 
is is one of those. It opens a doorway to different possibilities and different ways of being. And we wouldn't know about the nettle dress if you hadn't made the film. And Alan's just said, you guys have a history. You went back to road protests and things. So I have a starting question of, did you become a filmmaker to change the world? And welcome also. <laughs> thanks, Amanda. And thanks so much for saying that about the film. That's lovely. Did I become a... Um, I don't think I did. I, I, my first love was um, drawing and painting and from that into photography and then into film. I made funny little animations, Super 8 animations. Um, and then, yes, um, at art school, I did start to sort of connect with possibly doing documentary films and sort of engaging a lot more with the world and, and that, that film could be a, a powerful force for change. Okay. So when I was involved in the kind of environmental roads protest movement of the 90s I ran a group called Conscious Cinema and um, we used to make well we'd show a lot of films about environmental issues in all sorts of places like you know sometimes in the woods with a sheet hung up amongst the trees and projecting the film onto it like that but but um, one of the interesting things I think about that time was we used to make films and then we'd cut a little short film together and we'd we'd show show it we'd do these sort of screenings often to the very people who who were on the action and so in a way it was the very definition of preaching to the converted because we weren't growing the movement at all but i still but what i did learn was the great value of of cinema actually and of of uh, telling a story within a group reflecting it back in a very tight loop, this is what you are, this is what you've done, and it's amazing. That, that kind of feeling. And I, I sort of think the roots of that are here in the nettle dress because a lot of people, a lot of craftspeople and artists have come to see the film and they feel seen. They somehow feel like, yes, you've, you've shown the value of what it is we do, you know, that, that even knitting a scarf is something, a profound act of love and that somehow they feel seen by that. And, and I, so, so it's that notion of, uh, that, that also I've, I've learned from doing a lot of therapy, which is of, of, of the value of somebody reflecting back to you what it is, who you are and what, what it is you do. So, so at that time, it wasn't really changing the world, even though I was trying to, but it really wasn't growing. It was an attempt at propaganda, and that was a mistake because it was nobody wants to be preached to. So this is a different kind of story. And I think, you know, we were tempted with this story to sort of load it with, you know, facts and figures and about unsustainable fashion and this and that. We just, and we did speak about a lot of those things between us and I had it on camera, but I, in the end, removed all of that because it's implicit and it's, to use the analogy of, of what the film's about, it's in the fiber of the film it doesn't need to be said actually it's 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 acted it's it's it's, it's a lived experience so yes because there is a tiny moment where alan says that he discovered that i think it was 14 billion ton, 200 billion tons of fashion clothes made every year most of which ends up in landfill which just that one statement splintered my brain open i had no idea mm. and then it takes 7 years to make this beautiful dress, which would then become an heirloom, that sense of connectivity. You're right, you didn't need the extra because 
we are capable of filling in the gaps. I want to look a little bit then with you because you are a storyteller. That's our ancestors sat around fires doing exactly what you just talked about, telling each other's stories of what the group had done. Let me reflect to you the story of how you, I don't know, hunted the wild boar and were amazing and now we've got enough food to eat for the next couple of weeks and this is extraordinary. That was what we did. It's it's our evolution. And I learned recently that the cave paintings in France, the culture that created those spanned 25,000 years. Mm, wow. You know, that's, that's twice as long as the, uh, the history of agriculture. And it was a stable culture. And one assumes they were telling each other stories around the fire of what they'd done. So what you were doing with your early projections on a sheet in a wood, which I think sounds glorious, mm -hmm. is sitting around a fire telling people stories of what they'd done which in many ways is how we find who we are. And so I'm wondering now with the film, because you aren't just telling Alan and the family what they've done, you're expanding it to wider people. What was your vision at the start? Or did you have a vision at the start? Or was it just, this sounds like an interesting project, I would like to record what you're doing as you're going along? To begin with, it was the latter. It was, you know, it was just... Wow, this is interesting. It started with a sense of wonder. That was probably my starting point. Um, and, and in a way, similar to what Alan just said about, you know, his inspiration. Because when we first went out to film and Alan asked me to make a short how-to video that he could share what his experiments were with, with nettles. Right. And we went out and and I, I would probably put the kind of inspiration down to two two moments. One One was when he opened up the nettle to reveal the fiber and it just felt like, oh my God, wow, look at this sort of hidden treasure in this plant that I pass by every day and I had no idea. And he sort of opens it up and there it is, this golden fibre. Yeah. And the second was watching him spin um, because, you know, I'm so ignorant and so naive that I had never really thought what thread is. You know, I'd never, you know, I'd never considered that it's just this fibrous material with added twist. That's all it is. It's just adding twist to give it a strength. Yeah. But to see... Alan spinning by hand, it just felt like something wondrous and and so inspiring. And it made me, you know, think of all the religions that think, you know, that have thread as a sacred um, object. There's there's so many beautiful parallels between storytelling and and textile making, you know, um, with from and in years of making films i've always thought of when i'm editing i'm always thinking of the threads of a story but you know there's all the phrases that we have embedded in our language about weaving spells and text and textiles and the life's great tapestry and all, all of these things so that was an inspiration as well i had never made the link between text and textiles Ever. And I live with a textile maker, Faith, amongst many other things. I, I'd never seen that before. Is it actually the same route or is that a co one of these coincidences? No, I think I think it, is, it, it comes from the same the same route. And I think, you know, I mean, it's something that actually Alan, one of the, another thing that he's mentioned that I think is lovely. There's so many, we could go on and on about just this thing, but people who work in textiles, they're good at chat, they're good at talking <laughs> often. Um, right. Because it's something that you you know, your hands are busy knitting or sewing or, or weaving. Um, but then you're free to discuss. And so when you go to a weaving or a, a kind of spinning circle or, you know, when you get together with a few, 
there's always really great conversations. Yes, there's all the knitter-natter groups around the country and all of that kind of thing, yes. Yeah, it's just so conducive to that, you know. Um, but, and, you know, there's so many sort of beautiful parallels with filmmaking as well in terms of, I mean, even when I was looking at the timeline of my, you know, of my edit, it looks like a weaving pattern. Wow. You know, you've got the kind of the layers of the video and the layers of the audio and they're all kind of crossing over each other. And if, if we were doing a sort of conceptual art piece, we might weave the <laughs> weave the timeline of the of the film. But yes, that's not the thing we're doing. <laughs> yes, I, I so want to see the kind of producer's cut, the 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 six hour version as opposed to the, the just over one hour version. That would be that would be rather good. At what point did it stop being a how to video on nettles and become what it is? The much more the much longer and very beautiful meditation on a whole process. You know, the, the great blessing in disguise that we had with this film was that we tried and failed many times to get funding and we never did get funding. And lots of funders said, oh, that's very nice, but it's very niche and nobody's very going to be interested in that. Oh, and how wrong were they? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, but it was a really, really great thing because... In the end, you know, we could make the film we wanted to make, and and we could, and the, and this is the really important thing: we could take as long as we needed to take. And so I've I've worked in a more industrial model of filmmaking, working in television, or you know, working for clients and so on. And obviously, the way that the economy works is, you know, it's you're paid by the day, so therefore the pressure is always to make something as quickly as possible. And that means, in practice, that you generally have the story in mind before you before you um go and start making it and so you know I'd, i would might have a brief to come and go and see this textile guy and and maybe you've got a day to go and talk to him about nettles this was the polar opposite of that and it was wonderful because it was a conversation that, that with no um I, I didn't have a i didn't have to have a particular um output or a kind of you know, there was no one breathing down my neck, so I could it could be open ended. Mm, right. And so I like to think of the film on another level as a sort of slow motion conversation between the two of us that took place over years. And so, and that's how it became what it became because as we were talking, you know, sometimes really interesting philosophical ideas would come up, you know, or little keys would would appear that would just open up other avenues in terms of the narrative yeah you know i mean let me just give you one um this uh, this notion of, of of stories captured in thread right you know that, yes. that alan talks about yes. that that he has this lovely phrase um that that this was like prehistoric photography yeah so that that, that that somehow experience is captured in thread as you're as you're spinning it and as you're weaving it and i thought wow that's that's amazing and it really really resonates because that's kind of what i'm trying to do with filmmaking and trying to capture the magic of of moments and then somehow join them together into threads and into story threads you know right so so along the way it just got deeper and deeper because we would keep cycling around the themes yeah and whether it's themes around loss or whether it's about creativity and, or, or or you know around the, the sort of environmental or about connection to plants or mm. all sorts, there's so many things, you know, but the, all of those came up and they, we would sp spin around them, we'd circle around them and keep coming back to them and kind of go a bit deeper each time. Right. Yeah, it's like a fractal, isn't it? Yeah, and, that, and that's how the film came came to be 
what it is now and it, it very instinctive really i think for, for both of us it was a you know i think like a good conversation i know you know that manda because you have them professionally on this podcast but you know that they're like um it's, it's more like improvisation it's they go in unexpected to unexpected places if you're alive to that and if, if you have an idea already and then you're just trying to get that and then that's quite boring yes exactly why i don't ever script anything because it would be horrendous thank you and and the thing is what you came up with at the end, what what your many, 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 many hours of filming is so alive and yet is so focused on attention and intention. So I'd like to move back to Alan now for a little bit. I think Faith is probably, if I know anything about her at all, going to want to ask you about stories in thread. But I would like to ask a little bit, and I need to get my thoughts organised here. So... My own spiritual practice is shamanic. I have no idea what your spiritual practice is, but I am 99% certain that you do have one because of the way that you talk and the way that you relate to everything. And I will leave Faith to talk about stories in thread, if that's what she wants to do. Okay, she's not nodding. She's, okay, I will talk about stories in thread then. Grand. But I want to talk about the feelings in the thread because there are several times in the film. It starts your father dies I imagine in the during the making of the film and then your wife dies but even before that comes up you're gathering nettles while walking the dog and nettles are for me fierce warrior characters they're lovely and sometimes they're very feminine and very spring-like and I, I drink nettle tea in the spring and it's very alive and, and it has that sense of, of maiden dancingness but there's also the fierceness of nettle because they sting and you have an extraordinary part where you're barehanded got these ex- huge, the nettles that are like trees taller than me and you're stripping it and creating the fibre and so it seemed to me that all the way through this film you're gathering the nettles and then particularly the spinning because that took five years, if I understood correctly, with a drop spindle. You're not using a spinning wheel. It's all totally very connected in the way that drop spindle spinning is and wheel spinning slightly less so, it feels to me anyway. And that the thread is then imbued with the feeling. And I wonder if that's true for you. Second how that changed and then to what extent do you feel that becomes part of the fabric over to you to just a general meditation on feelings in the making right yeah um, a bit to dig in there my sort of gateway into it was nettles but in the as i was experimenting and trying to find out how to actually get to the fiber in a in an efficient manner i was searching around on the internet trying to find if there were any how-tos on how to actually do this process and and also just to find examples of nettle cloth and you know I think if I'd been shown nettle cloth right at the outset I would have gone oh that's what it feels like cool it's possible but I couldn't find that and I couldn't, I found lots of rumors and references to nettle cloth, but nothing that I could actually get my hands on. So that kind of forced me into going, well, if I want to feel nettle cloth, I'm going to have to make it myself. 
The one area where I could get information on was the Nepalese. They've got a long-standing tradition of working uh, with their nettle, Himalayan nettle. It's a bit different to our nettle, um, called aloe uh, by the Nepalese. And they process that in a very different way. Um, I did try their method, um, basically boiling it in wood ash um, and packing it with clay to stop it clumping up. But they end up with a very long fiber. What I discovered with the nettle, even though it, it's it, it's a bast fiber, so very related to flax and hemp, of which we know a lot more, when I, f- I failed at the Nepalese method of extracting the fiber, I looked towards the literature of hemp and flax growing, of which we have a long, much longer tradition here in Europe, and there's a much more written about it. And... So I set about really emulating those steps and seeing how much of it could be applied directly to nettle. And I think as soon as I, I started growing flax on, the, on, on my allotment and getting, getting into that process, uh, studied, uh, went on a course with Simon and Anne from Flaxland who basically single-handedly um, brought about the flax revival in the UK. But I realized that nettle like hemp and flax is is, is the, are these incredible plants i mean there's a danish um textile researcher called margaret hald um who was she called nettle uh, a culture plant um just because it's it, it it feeds us you get fiber from it and it, it it's a medicine and really, that that applies to both hemp and flax. They're they're just these incredible plants that feed, heal, and clothe us. So that that was an interesting uh, discovery. Yeah, but I've already natted on and lost track of the other parts. Of- but I have an ex- I have an ancillary question anyway, because years ago when I did a permaculture course back in the early nineties. I was on the course with a gentleman who was then in his 50s and he said that after the war his mother had made him a nettle shirt and I thought, oh my gosh, like hair shirt, was that nice? And he said, oh God, yes, it was gorgeous. It was the best shirt I ever had and he was 10 or 12 at the time and and I discovered after that he was Serbian. So my assumption was that in Eastern Europe there was a, a long tradition of, of making shirts. And now I'm thinking, my goodness, did his mother spend the entire Second World War <laughs> gathering nettles and spinning them to make this shirt? He would be quite small, so it probably wasn't as long. But did you not find anything in terms of European nettle production? Yeah, I mean, the, early on, I, I met a wonderful woman called Gillian Adom, who wrote this book called From Sting to Spin, which was the history of, of nettle fiber. Um, and she was very articulate and very thorough in her research. And she, again, it's interesting, she just, she doesn't know where the, where the thought to do this huge labor came from. It just felt like the nettles grabbed her by the scruff of the neck and told her this is what you're going to do um so that that was useful in seeing that oh yes there are definite examples and i think really the heyday of nettle was probably way back sort of neolithic bronze age time i mean it's difficult to tell because you know woven cloth doesn't really survives um so, but there are lots of examples, and and it's really interesting to see um, 
how finely people were spinning nettle at that time. It wasn't a rough cloth at all, even though the way it was processed was different to the way I did it because this was all being done pre-metal tools and carders and all that sort of kit. So, yeah, and, and, and it's, going, it's interesting, that Eastern European connection, I, th- I think um, Gillian found that, and, and I've certainly detected hints of that, that the tradition lasted a lot longer in Eastern Europe and also up into Russia. Mm. Um, and I think I think the history of where nettle was used is probably very related to the spread of flax and hemp as it as that colonized or moved into different parts of, of, of Europe. So and also I think where nettle seems to have been used most predominantly both over in the Americas and and in Europe and Eastern Europe um, seems to have been places where there was heavy snowfall over winter because down um, in our milder climates down here in the south, once uh, once autumn comes in, the the nettle fiber that's left standing in the uh, you know in nettle groves degrades really quickly. The, the the wet weather just it rots it down. So come spring, um, nettles are basically all gone. Okay. But in places where there was deep snow, the the nettle would be preserved and just preserved and just naturally retted in the snow. Right. So as the snow started to melt in early spring, the nettles would be collected then and the fiber can just be stripped off and it's already um, in a perfect condition for for textile uses, and again the etymology is inter- is interesting. That you know, it's not a coincidence that nets and nettles share the same root. And in fact, in a, in a lot of European languages, nettle, needles, sewing, all share a similar root. So it, it gives the sense that that this was an ancient um, practice using nettles, and. You know, f- we know that f- the use of flax goes back or documented at least 30,000 years, but obviously it goes back a lot further. Um, and I think n- nettles do require more work than flax and hemp to process. So I think as other fibers naturally started to appear in, in regions or were imported and, and grown purposefully, that they probably soon replaced nettle. Um, and you know, it's, for example, in Gillian's book, she talks in Scotland. There's a lot of reference to nettle cloth, which carried on right up until you know the 19th, even 20th century. But it was really a term that was then being applied to all sorts of different fabrics and fibres that were being imported from the east. Right. Um, right. Rami being one of them. Even cotton uh, was called. Uh, or, or muslin was called nettle cloth. It, it, there was just a, a sort of memory of of nettle, even though the actual thing being referred to was was no longer nettle. The phrase popped in my head quite early on that that nettle is the fibre of the landless, and you know it's it's that one very easy forageable um, fibre source, which right, yes, you know, and I, I imagine that nettle was used. Quite when other fibers became introduced, nettle was used to when crops failed or you needed to bulk out um, 
flax or hemp hemp growing there is always going to be nettle somewhere isn't yeah, it yeah ex- exactly so yeah i mean it's it's a very interesting history and uh, yeah we could we could speak for hours just on that alone but yeah that that that's my sort of understanding and i think I mean, it was interesting that the little film Dylan and I did, the how-to video, which shows called Nettle for Textiles, which kick-started this whole thing off, which we just put out for free. Um, that's been... So we put it up on YouTube, and it was ripped by someone in Russia, and uh, they re-did re, um, the, the, the subtitles. and In Russian. Yeah. They dubbed it. Yeah, they so they, <laughs> they dubbed, dubbed it into Russian, <laughs> cut Dylan and I's name off, ripped off of by a couple of Russians. Grand, but that, that that has had so many views in Russia, like tens oh, of really? thousands. And it again, it just seems to speak to a, a more recent memory of of nettles being still in the culture. So yeah, that, that that's been interesting. Brilliant. You're right. There are so many avenues we could go down there. I'm thinking Faith will go down some of them. I would want to come back to my earlier question of feeling, feelings in the fibre and stories in the fibre. You said at one point if you were going into battle, you would wear a nettle shirt because it would repel everything. And I remembered the stories of the ghost shirt warriors uh, amongst the Lakota. I think it was Black Elk dream it, somebody dreamt that they would wear a particular shirt and it would repel the bullets of the white invaders, which clearly didn't quite work. But I'm thinking two things. First of all, it probably would have worked better if the people coming at you had believed the same things. And then I also saw something come past, I think on YouTube a couple of weeks ago, where someone had practiced gluing using, I think, uh, boiled cow's feet glue. They glued 15 layers of linen together to make armour and they made the mistake the first time of just making a big sheet thinking they'd cut it up and put it together and they couldn't cut it they ended up with the same kind of power tools that you cut metal with <laughs> failing to cut this this linen armour that they'd made and the next lot they made they shaped it all first and and then glued it all together and so if you did that with with metal I guess you would get quite impressive armour how does it feel I'm really wanting to get to the depths of of that sense of does the mix of however nettle feels to you as a as a plant spirit and your own feelings as you were over five years, hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of spinning this thread, does the fabric at the end of it seem to you to carry the essence of that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I I got that that sense really strongly in the spinning that the sounds that were around me as I was spinning, what I was thinking while I was spinning, what I the memories and thoughts of both the location externally and internally must be going into the thread, and even if it's just a, a, a symbolic. Um, wrapping in of those things into the thread it definitely I got the sense that for most of our history when we were making clothing for each other and for our small tribe that when you wore a piece of clothing it would have been it would have had the the thoughts and hands and sweat of those people that loved you uh, or accumulated it, it, into the garment itself so you it's like you're 
you're wearing something that's filled with intentions, filled filled with the, the the dreams and aspirations and struggles of those around you. So, so the cloth is like is like a repository. It's it, it, and when 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 the cloth when the nettle cloth first came off the loom, you could you could see it. It's banded. There's different batches mm. of nettles, and, and they're all slightly different colours. And you, and at that point, you know, I might not remember that was that day, that was that day, but there were definite differences in, in the threads. And also, if other people have been contributing to that, there would be subtle differences in the in the spinning. I mean, sp having watched lots of people spin nettle, yes. it's it's incredible that you could it's almost like a fingerprint you you could probably pick out who spun what um so yeah that the, the, there's definitely and, and that feels like it the 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 dreams and aspirations that go into making that cloth just enriches it imbues it with a sort of um magic which is so different from the industrial model where if those threads do carry stories, they're probably aggressive stories of exploitation and loss and labor. And yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, as you can see, I'm, I'm quite romantic in the, in the way I think about these things, but, but that's how it, how it appeared to me. I mean, once the cloth was woven off the loom, scoured, been worn and touched and exposed to sunlight, those differences of the batches has sort of disappeared and it's it's become a unified news story um, rather than being able to pick out the, the individual stories within it. It sort of it, it becomes a, you know, I mean, weaving is magical like that, that it just takes the individual threads and then creates a new thing yeah those stories are in it but it gives it a fresh start as it were um so yeah th th those themes um definitely ran through it and yeah early on we you were talking about um the spindle i mean as it was i i did use the the spinning wheel as well but what i loved about the drop spindle was that it just fitted into the using all these small pockets of time um, in, in a productive way. So, you know, when I would take Bonnie out to go and pick nettles, I'd have a bundle of nettles in my pocket that needed hand rolling so I could do that whilst I was walking. I could spin whilst I carried the bundle of nettles back home. And the spinning on the drop spindle, it all took place in just in all these moments which would would otherwise be unused waiting for the kettle to boil waiting at a bus stop yeah. watching tv listening to a podcast that sense of just of producing in all these um down moments um when i got on the spinning wheel that was more dedicated and it mm. felt like it was yeah I, I was just trying to move things on but the way the way the processes and the spinning on drop spindle just seamlessly fitted into all the other jobs that needed doing in a day um so yeah it never felt like drudgery uh, at any point it it always felt like there was um however small there was a sense of movement 
ha- happening, um, which yeah, w- you know, which is is very different when you when you're being forced to do it for low wages or for someone else immediately it would become drudgery. But when you're producing it more out of artistic creativity or love, um, it, it doesn't have that that feeling about it at all. Brilliant. Thank you. So Dylan, coming back to you and then I'll let Faith talk some more to Alan. I'm still really curious with this film. We we have a culture just now where there is the race to the bottom of the brainstem. Let's give everybody little dopamine hits as much as we can and, and disconnect us all from the web of life. And your film seems to do the opposite of that. It's it's for me, it's a serotonin and oxytocin film. And in shamanic terms, it's a very spirit-based film. There's got a lot of fire in it. There's the scene at the end where Alan's daughter is wearing the dress and she's got the skull over the fire and you're honouring and offering to the spirit of the woods. And I'm wondering, do you did you dream with Nettle? Did you, you dream into the film? What was the what was the spirit energy as you were making the film? Does that even make sense as a question? Um, yeah, I think it does. Um, my first thought in answering it would be that the making of it was a conversation. You know, I like that metaphor more than anything. And it, it was a conversation between the two of us uh, uh, that I'd already mentioned that was a, went, took place over the years. But it was also a conversation with between Alan and the nettle itself. And b- between me and the material and between me and the place. And so... Yes, I went. I, I would go on my own as well to Limekiln Wood, which is where most of the nettles came from, and just and just sat there and then just tried to catch it in so many different seasons and so many different lights and um, weathers, and tried to make a study of the place and also the nettle itself. So you can see that as one of the threads running through this. To, through the film definitely it's can. a study a study of this plant this humble plant or mighty plant how, how you whatever you want to see it but it's it and it and so for me one of the discoveries making it was what it what 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 is it to to go again and again to a thing and just keep looking and keep going and keep asking and and keep studying and the depth that that it gives you back, yeah. And so, as as much as and there's something Alan says in the film, as much as you know, he's working the nettles. The nettles are working him. Yeah. You know, it's that notion in creativity that if you're open to it, as much as you're working the material and you're 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 talking, but you're also listening, and it's and it's a journey, and it's one that you're you don't know what the destination is, but it's opening up all the time. Um, possibilities and it's going deeper and that, that was the sense I had in terms of the kind of sp- on a spirit level I guess with both the plant with the place that particular wood which as Al says in the film it's a humble wood which you would walk past you wouldn't even notice yeah, and it's surrounded by industrial farmland I hadn't realized until you get kind of I think a drone shot towards the end of my goodness there's this yeah tractor rows of of the worst of what we're doing to the land and this little wood in the heart of it that's still alive yeah because all the shots going through the wood you get the sense that this wood is huge yeah and actually it's it's little it's quite small if you went there you'd be shocked you can walk through it in five minutes you know but it's again it's that 
sense of um, the, the wonders, the simple wonders that are right here with us now, you know, with, and it's, um, and, and, and it's, everyone listening to this, I'm sure would has, has a park or a copse or something, a wood that's mm. near them, which where all of these things are there, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, it's the simple wonders, I think. And actually one thing that, um, when we were making it, that was an inspiration was actually something that, uh, Mark Rylance said, he wrote a beautiful article and he was talking about, Artists have a responsibility to tell love stories about nature. Right. We need to to tell the stories that connect us back to these pla- these places that actually I think during lockdown during COVID I think a lot of people did start to discover and find those places again, or discover just how beautiful their local park can be if you just stop and notice. And I, so and that's another that was another revelation I suppose was was the slowness uh, you know. Lots of people have asked, how could you be so patient to make the dress or mm. to make this film over so many years? But to me, that was the most wonderful thing about it. You know, I, I loved, and um, maybe it's something about my own character being maybe more on the introvert scale, end of the scale. I, I find I'm one of those people who, when I have a conversation, you know, it's it's bouncing around in my mind for hours after, and 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 it's still i'm still having the conversation in a way i'm still having revelations and so it really really suited me to make something slowly yeah you know to 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 sort of to sit and talk with al or to to go and film and then to contemplate and look at what i've done and let it and let it sort of go through me and just resonate really naturally and instinctively and then and then go again and then go again and just go and just like that and just and and just let let it be a, a deeper relationship with the material yeah, totally and so and and, and and with the plants also obviously with the nettles yeah and and it, and it strikes me that the the sort of the quality of storytelling and communication we have in so much of our media isn't that that space and of for contemplation isn't allowed because of the way we make it and i mentioned it earlier about the the pressure to make things and just relentlessly churn out s- stories. So it's partly partly about about that. It's, it's, yeah, it's that sort of s- storytelling and filmmaking is is is, is almost an, an almost an extractive industry. Right. And I, I've been guilty of it myself when I've worked for charities and such, where I've I've, been, I've sort of flown into a place, and I've just taken the story and off I go. And I've used it for the purposes of whatever the institution is, or whatever. Right. I have, I have this feeling that sort of how we make tell the stories is, is as important as the content. That so it's done in a in a in a respectful way, in a loving way, and that that the, the, it's that it's responsible, and that you don't, you know, that that this notion of the sort of the artist, the egotistical artist, where you know where the ends always justify the means, is 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 one that is not serving us, you know. And so taking this a little wider, this is a question I've been asking myself a lot. If I were to write a film script of a, a throtopian story, which is how do we get from where we are to where we could be if we became the best of ourselves, would it be possible, logistically possible, to make that into any kind of television, given the inherent, as you said, extractive nature, but also just the the carbon load of making something or the not because it's not all about the carbon and I don't want to suggest it is, but is there a way that we can take this medium, which is our storytelling, it's the storytelling of our culture, 
We have the capacity to then tell stories that reach millions instead of 10 people around a fire, which could be amazing. But it has seemed to me that if I make a story that's about systemic change and paradigm shift, and I make it in the way of the old system and the old paradigm, the energy is already gone before I start. I'm, I'm again thinking, is this even making sense as a question? But you're in this industry. And it seems to me that you've made a Thrutopian film. This is a this is a film of deep time, which I think is what you were talking about. It's a film of what it is to pay attention and intention and slow down and really connect. And I am guessing that it, it seems to me as if you were producer, director, f- cinematographer, all of it, you're basically it's you and a camera and then you and an editing suite. If it's possible to do this in a way that is actually regenerative, then you have done it. First, is that true? And second, is it scalable? Oh, that's a really big question. And it's, it's, I think I'm living that question, um, trying to do that. Um, I think in terms of a regenerative practice, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I think that the making of this film and the, and, and as much the showing of it, because it's still, I think the work is still continues, by the way. I don't think it finished when we, when we finished the film. Please say more about that. Yeah. It's, it's, um, as much about the showing, as I said earlier about, you know, I really believe in the power of cinema and sitting together and, and watching a story, not just tele- television, I find very unsatisfying. Right. So that so cinema is, is, is really important and, and the energy that is in the room and the discussions that happen afterwards and the connections that are made between people and the synthesis of ideas that happens you know, when you talk about it with your friends afterwards, which doesn't happen when you're sitting at home and watching telly. Um, so all of, all of those things have been really good. But yeah, in terms of the regenerative practice, I mean, I think it's been really regenerative for both of us um, in terms of the wonderful feedback we've had. So that's been really great. But I have to say, just on a horribly practical level, it isn't in a financial sense. Right. In that sense, it's a fairy tale because... It's both the we're not we're not we can't all go out and make nettle dresses, spending years of our time doing that, and we can't all go and make films for no money, because we have to make a living. Yes, and when we're in predatory capitalism, we have to make a living. At the point when we don't have to make a living anymore, then that's exactly what you do. Exactly right, and it's but we're not there yet. So that's that that's the part that's the part that I haven't squared yet, and I'm I'm trying to figure it out. So watch this space. Okay, maybe you and I need to have a conversation about that when we're offline. Yeah. Because also, in the world that I think we're heading to, we're going to have to be making the nettle dresses. This is where Alan started. We're going to need to be feeding ourselves and clothing ourselves without having young women in China chained to a machine to do it for us, because that just won't be a thing. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting thing as well about just sort of how how you bring people to a film like this, because... Mm. We're, we're literally showing in cinemas alongside Barbie, which had a $150 million marketing budget. Wow. Or we're showing alongside Avatar 2 when we were sh- a couple of months ago. We were, you know, And these are films that they're big, noisy films and they demand attention. And I think the big thing with the nettle dress um, that I'm very p- proud of actually is it doesn't demand anything at all. It just invites it. Yes. You know, it, it just it just says, you know, come along with us. If, if you want to just watch Bonnie and enjoy yes, Bonnie. Yes. Oh, you want to explore Alan's beard, the, the story of Alan's beard. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, and so, but, but, but because of that, it's been, 
struggle, you know, of getting funding and even getting distribution. Although now we have a distributor, which is fantastic. Right. There's something, you know, c- culturally about how, to, you know, how how do you how do you sell it? Mm. Which is a horrible way to put. It. I, I even hate saying it like that. But it's how do you bring people to it when it's quite quiet? You know, it's that really. And how do you, can people? Because over half of our listenership is not in the UK. Is it? Have you got a distributor for other nations? Not yet. Okay. So anybody listening? Again, there's a there's a lot of interest in the US. Good. Um, there's a lot of interest in Canada and and in certain countries in Europe and probably Russia when they find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll I rip know. it off and oh, put hope, Russian over I the hope top. Not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. All right. But anybody listening? Yeah. If you have ears for a distributor, let us know. I have so gone over the time that was allotted to me, so I'm going to hand over to Faith now and then come back to say goodbye to you guys at the end. Hello, everyone. Hello, Alan and Dylan. Um, It's wonderful to be here and be able to talk to you. Um, Usually I hide behind the scenes, but my total resonance with your project, and I was so inspired by it, has drawn me out into the podcasting chair. So it's really great to be here. I've made some notes kind of going through the watching the film a couple of times and there's so much I could ask you, but um, I don't want to kind of tread on the same ground that Manda's already covered. So I'm thinking that she probably didn't talk too much about your relationship as a maker with your materials, because it seems to me that this was such a two-way process, the making of the nettle dress, that you said at one point that Nettle was demanding something of you, a different way of being, a kind of in order to unlock its secrets. And then you talked about um, that everything that you were thinking and feeling was being recorded in the thread. So it seemed to me that this two-way relationship with the materials was a really important aspect of the making. And I wondered if you could say any more about that feeling of the material in your hands and your relationship with it? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for the question, Faith. Yeah, I mean, I think I think because at the outset I didn't have um, like a handy how-to to actually know how to go about extracting the fibre in a way that made it suitable for spinning and ultimately cloth, is that I, d- I just did a, a lot of experimentation I mean, to just fast forward a bit, once I once I was starting to be able to uh, extract a good um, fiber, knowing how to spin it was a is a really too immediate two way conversation because um, you you know the basic principle that you're just trying to add twist to it um, to, to get it to hold together, but you only improve or adjust, adjust your spinning because you're directly relating that the, the fiber is t- sort of telling you how it wants to be spun so whilst there there aren't vast differences between spinning wool or spinning another uh, you know the principles the same N- nettle showed me how it wanted to be spun because if i if it was coming apart it 
it, it tells you it, it needs to be spun tighter, licking it, licking the fibres, the yarn as I was spinning to sort of try and glue down the hairiness of the fibre, which um, becomes important when you actually get into weave it, when you're changing sh uh, sheds with, uh, with a hairy fibre. They tend to snarl up, and that sort of gums up the the ease of of the spinning. So there wasn't a, a rule book that I could uh, refer to. So yeah, it, the nettle had to teach me teach me itself, and, and in a way that was really freeing. I tend to when I learn a new thing, I'm immediately aware of how much I don't know, and I want to fill those gaps with with someone who's been there before and given me the fruits of their labor but I just didn't have that with nettle so all I could do was just keep experimenting and, and practicing with that fiber and it and it did start to feel like a conversation that was going on and then just noticing that nettles grown in full sun were kind of they had a harder woody core and maybe later in the growing season it was a bit harder on my fingers to actually open the nettles up so that naturally I just started to look for nettles that were grown more in shaded uh, areas because they they were growing tall up to the sunlight but they were quite uh, soft they were they looked like you know a gust of wind would, would blow them over but the core was much softer they were easier to get into and you know I think there's still a lot more nuance that I've got to learn <coughs> sorry to learn from the nettle but um, you know these feedback loops improved improved the results so yeah I mean it it was both sort of spiritually it felt like a conversation but all of this was really rooted in just practical pragmatic um technical how to make it easier which ones were which type of nettles were easier to work with what was the fiber like and you know i kept notes i would when i went out to harvest nettles i would record the day i harvested them on where they were grown um, and then when I spun them, I would make notes of how much fiber I managed to get per plant, work out averages and that sort of thing. And just, yeah, just emotionally and rationally just build in these feedback loops just to improve the process. So there's something here that's very different for me. When you look at the world that we're living in, People are making things all the time to the point where we're making too much stuff. Um, and I suppose a lot of the art world and things that sell for loads of money, you know, they might be made in a laboratory or from, you know, spun filaments of plastic or something with which the person making has no kind of this two-way relationship that you're talking about. So I found that really moving. And the fact that it was a transformational relationship. So this nettle dress, in a way, it wasn't just made of nettle. It was made of your relationship over that period of time with the nettle. So I'm wondering how that works, Dylan, when you're making a video, because... I know we've got lots of artists and makers 
um, who listen to the podcast who are inevitably drawn into filming their work or filming their process and that has almost become as much of a time-consuming thing as actually the making of the thing. But sometimes I feel if I've made something and then videoing it can also, just by the time spent looking, you haven't got a physical material in your hands like Alan had, but there's still something in the making which has the same quality. I don't know if that's making sense as a question, but is it something about time spent or the quality of the looking or the seeing? Or is it recording moments of time in which you're present? Or how does it compare making a video to making something that you can feel in your hands? Mm, that's a really interesting question, not one I've had before. I mean, I did like to, you know, see the two crafts that we were that that we, we had running alongside each other as parallel crafts and very similar in lots of ways. But I know it's not the same. I mean, I, I I know that for Alan it was the feel, and that was actually the question right at the beginning. What does nettle cloth feel like? Is it possible to make it, and what would it feel like? I know it's not the same for video at all. That's that's different, but. In so many other ways, it was similar in terms of the process, you know, the gathering, going out and gathering the material, and then the, and then the sifting, you know, the wheat and the chaff, sifting the, the best bits, and then joining them together into story threads, and then weaving the threads together to make the final piece, and then the finishing, which so much of making clothes is hiding the seams, you know, making something seamless. So all of those things ran alongside. And, and the thing that came to mind, and I don't, I don't know whether this answers your question, but when you were talking was, you know, it strikes me that when we see a work of art, you know, we're only seeing the final incarnation. You know, we're seeing the final bit. Um, and I know, I know there's a, a phrase that's sometimes said about film, a film is never finished, it's abandoned. You know, it's just, it was just the final bit that, that when, the, when the maker just stepped away. Because of that, when we consume, we're just seeing that one the final thing we're not seeing the story we're not seeing the making we're not seeing the blood sweat and tears and the the love and the attention and the intention that went into to that thing and so that i suppose what i thought of when you were speaking was just about part of what the film was about was just was to show that you know if you, if you saw the dress in the museum or something you would think oh wow made of nettles looks and it feels nice lovely but it's very different if you see Alan over years and hear him his reflections over all that time, and and sort of see see what's threaded into the making in terms of the story of it. So 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 that would be. I don't know if that answers your question, but that that I just think that there's something really interesting about you know, and maybe it's because I we both went to art school, and it's I'm very interested in process, and I'm very interested in creativity, and just. And what what it what what does it what does that actually mean to make to, to you know in terms of just moment to moment what is it to be creative and it's to me it's just it's about paying attention and it's just when I was when I'm watching Al it's just lots and lots and lots of moments of attention you know lots and and they're all adding together and and it's so it's lots of little tiny decisions mm -hmm. and 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 they're they're all sort of you know 
becoming this is it's this becoming it's this is you know seeing this thing kind of coming into being um from all of that attention and as as i was thinking about attention i was reading around it and stuff and i found a lovely definition of love which is just love is attention it's love is paying attention you know that we pay attention to the things and the people we love and we love them by paying attention to them you know um and so extrapolating from that you know you can see what al's done over all these years as a as a profound act of love and devotion because it's it's hundreds and hundreds of hours of attention and connection as well that's the other thing i think maybe that has brought people to the film is it's lots of people say i felt so connected it's like a meditative because i think craft teaches us that it's and creativity which is that when you try and draw something, you know, you have to connect. Even if it's just for that moment, you're trying to catch it and you're trying to do a little mark and then you look again and not quite right, another little mark. Each time you're doing that, you're connecting. It's it's a little bit of not being on your phone, not being distracted <laughs> because we're all, you know, I know for myself that my attention's terrible, you know, so th- this, is, this is an antidote to that, I think. And I think that's maybe why a lot of people have responded to the film. I certainly responded to it in that way, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will. Uh, Something that Al said just linked into what you were saying. There was a moment where all the wefts all set up on the loom and you were starting to weave, and you said that you stopped worrying about where the next thread was going because it was already laid out where the thread had to go. The weft is already there, the lines of it. You just had to follow the thread and do the next thing. And then when you zoom out, there it is. The rich tapestry of your life has been laid down, has literally become material. And I really love that idea of making, whether it's a cloth or video, as a kind of making your life energy material, becoming a thing. So the life force of the nettle, your relationship with each other, your relationship with both of your ways of working, the love and attention that you were just talking about, they've been made material in a dress and in a film. And it's so precious. You know, I know that Al said, you said at one point that it's, it, the dress became a kind of ritual object, a, a precious thing, just because of all this energy poured into it. So I guess that's left me thinking that one of the things that inspired us when we started the Throughtopia project about telling stories to move us forward into a new way of being was Ben Ockrey, a question he asked, what should we make if this is the end of the human era? What should we make? Um, And I know a lot of artists and makers get crippled by this question that what's the point of making anything in a world which is drowning in stuff? So I just wondered now, having completed the dress and the film and you've made something which can go back into the land and not leave a trace, can you say anything about the role of making the creative act as a kind of way of moving us forward into a new way of being how can we use this making process this creative drive that we have as humans to take us in a good direction 
Uh, I'll, I'll jump in there. I mean, one of the things that we learned from growing food on the allotment is it feels like what we give up for convenience that we can just go down and buy a bag of spuds from the, the, the supermarket or whatever is that what we gain in convenience we we lose in in all these other um aspects of being outside being in the weather having an intimate relationship with a piece of land with with the creatures in that land both friend and foe it's not always easy that that you know things things don't work things fail there's a sort of it demands a resilience um, mm. from you. I always say that my, the, what I grow on the allotment is symbolic. In, I'm not feeding myself off that piece of land, but same with you know the nettle dress. I'm not clothing the whole family and in, in stuff that I've made. But it just felt like what those processes give back outweighs what you get from the convenience of just being able to go down the high street and get a cheap piece of clothing, mm. which feels like if it tells a story, it's probably a story of exploitation and misery. Um, whereas when you bring home your your carrots that you've grown, you know exactly what, what its story is. And it's, it, its nourishment is more than just the nutrients. You've got so much out of the out of the process of doing it yourself. And that that's really what kind of awoke in me um, the whole textile thing of uh, and, and trying to create clothing is that, wow, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a lot m more work than going out to buy it. But, I mean, w what I got from the spinning just emotionally and through a sense of, well-being and, and groundedness was was priceless i mean you know mm. i i i'd feel i feel robbed that i i, I couldn't play a, a, at least some small role in the clothing that that i wear whether it be even just making the thread to stitch up a hole in a piece of clothing it's, it, like as soon as you, you you fix something or mend something, your relationship to that thing just immediately deepens and it becomes meaningful. And we, it, it just feels that on so many aspects of our life, we're just like stones skimming on the surface and we're just not being allowed to feel the depth of, of these things. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's all about cheapness, whereas the slower way of doing things, yeah, sure, you're going to have far less of them but your relationship to them is is going to be so much deeper and i think knitters especially is is just how generous knitters are with giving their creations to um family and friends so so freely like that there's a joy in the actual creation of it that, that the knitting has been nourishing and then the fact that someone you love is going to be kept warm and comfortable by your creation totally it, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's just it's just a whole another depth which you know i i really feel that that we're being robbed from it's it's not a convenience it's a it's a shallowing so if as a culture we could move from buying and consuming to making even in the smallest way 
it must make a difference. Definitely. And, and relating to the materials in the way that you related to the nettles. So at one point you said that you felt a bit guilty using this last bit of wildness and taming it into a cloth. But I couldn't help thinking that the nettle had given you in exchange some of its wildness. So it wasn't lost. <laughs> no, that's that's a good point. You have that bit of wildness yeah. in you. And it's changed you. You've said that in so many ways throughout the film. So it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. And the film is a beautiful piece of art in the same way. And I would encourage anybody who has any creative drive in their body, which I think is almost everyone, to go and see the film. So thank you so much for talking to me as well uh, after doing your conversation with Manda. Well, thank you, Faith. It's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. It's really lovely. Alrighty. So thank you. Thank you both very much for your time. Um, is there anything else either of you wanted to say? I'm guessing you're talked out by now, but just checking. Oh, just mainly what a thrill it, it and what a joy it has been to chat to you. I do listen to your podcast. Um, I was listening to Alice Holloway's, um, who we know and was on our panel when we played at the Ritzy. And Brilliant. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, like well, likewise. Thank you both. Thank you, thank you. And I, I want to say I don't, I didn't know your podcast, so I'm now going to be digging through your entire archive, which apparently is quite a lot. Which is good. You've been busy, haven't you? <laughs> Please don't feel you have to listen to them all. <laughs> I, I did. I did one of your meditations this morning, though, which oh, I loved. Man. Absolutely loved. All right. Well, thank you both so much, and I sincerely hope we'll send everyone to watch the film, and and watch the space. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. I said at the top, there are links in the show notes. I'll say it again, there are links in the show notes. Accidental Gods, all one word, dot life, and it's in the podcast section. You can search now, search for Nettle Dress, you'll find it. And as I also said at the top, if it isn't somewhere near enough you and you want it to be, then the distributors are open to finding ways to hold viewings near to where you are. If there's a small art cinema or something similar, and you have contacts and you want to make it happen, then make it happen and get your friends and go and have that joint experience. Alan and Dylan are also open to having a kind of joint Zoom call afterwards and talking about the process, the dress and the making of the film. And it genuinely seems to me that if we're going to learn how to live in deep time, how to slow down, how to become what we have been and what we can be, then this dress, the making of it, and the film that shows us how it was done are steps on the way. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you to Al and to Dylan and to Faith for all that they've done and all that they are, for the wonder of creation and making and emergence and allowing the magic to happen. It's such a glorious thing to witness. Thanks also to Caro C for the music at the head and foot and for the production. Thanks to Anne Thomas and Jill Coombs for the transcripts. Thanks to Faith for the website and the conversations that keep us moving forward. And, as ever, an enormous thanks to you for listening. If you know of anybody else who wants to deepen their connection to the land, to being, to making, to the sheer magic of life, then please do send them this link. 
And that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you. And goodbye.